and welcome to the Sweet Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hall. Good afternoon. How are you today? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, the sun's shining. Um, obviously, it's a it's a very late pod for us this week, but there's a a very good reason behind that. Yeah, there's a hell of a lot to get through. We had uh, pretty much two full rounds of football to get through, haven't we? And uh, it's decided the movers and the shakers. It's fair to say. Nearly, yes. pretty much, the table is almost set for the. Uh, Premier League guests of 2018-2019. It is indeed, but I think we're going to work through kind of from the bottom up, aren't we? So I think there's probably only one place to start, and it was uh, it was the early kickoff on Saturday as well, and that was Stoke City when they hosted Crystal Palace. They actually went on to lose 2-1 after taking the lead through a fantastic Shakiru free kick just before half time, and then it was James MacArthur and Patrick Van Arnholt who scored the goals that would ultimately send Stoke City down to the championship and in their 10 year stay in the Premier League and it was an odd one as well because Stoke were relegated while they're in 19th yeah that is a strange one yeah. I'm not, not sure how many times that's happened before it, it honestly took me a few seconds slash minutes to figure out what was going on <laughs> yeah I mean obviously Stoke have really struggled in recent weeks and taking the lead in this one the whole stadium were behind them and I was listening to this game on the radio and the atmosphere seemed brilliant um, and it's almost one of those all or nothing games where unless you win you you're pretty much guaranteed to be down. I know that mathematically, if they'd have got a point, then they could possibly have stayed up, but a win was always what was going to be needed. And Paul Lambert had them fired up. Shakiri obviously, with a fantastic free kick, but as Stoke have done so many times this season, defensively, they collapsed. And um, that's the problem this season. It's not about the attacking players who, who've not done too badly. It's, it, it's all about the defence. Yeah, very much so. And you know, I thought it was quite poetic that Stoke's decline was was kind of sealed with Ryan Shawcross's poor touch. Let's say say it was a poor touch, but you know he's he's been the ever present for the whole of those ten years that Stoke have been there, and he's kind of declined with them over the last year or two as well. And I know he's had a lot of injuries as well, but you know he was always the kind of the, the fulcrum of any success that Stoke had earlier on in the Premier League, and he was the one that represented the the kind of get up and go attitude that Stoke always seemed to have that that they probably lost certainly when Pulis went um, and and from there they tried to change the style and be a little bit more progressive and you know we'll talk about other clubs that have tried to do something similar and ultimately you can't help but look back even two three years ago at, at mistakes that were possibly made at that club as to see why they're uh, back in the championship now yeah and for me it's the fallout that's come out since since the relegation was confirmed as well a lot of people have wanted to get out there and speak to the media i saw an interview with jack butland which was very frank and um criticized a lot of the transfer dealings that the club had made yeah. and that doesn't fill you with a lot of confidence as a stoke fan uh, when you look at whether jack butland may or may not stay at that club next season that's not the sort of words that you would expect from somebody who was ready to commit their future to a club in the championship and you've seen charlie adam come out as well and i think charlie adams on a on a bit of a power trip when you consider that he's basically talked about people not standing up and 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 making far too too many poor decisions in games and and, and basically just not trying hard enough and this is a guy who a few weeks ago in a in a key relegation game was sent off after half an hour and you just think well I think some of these players maybe need to take a step away from the media and and actually allow the fans to deal with this themselves because until that season ends I, I don't think that the fans will fully get over what's happened this season and, and it doesn't help that football club for players to be coming out now and criticizing each other when there's still another game to play 
and then also at the end of the season they're all going to be going off to the, to the World Cup before coming back in the summer and trying to sort out whatever's going to happen with their contract. Yeah, I think um, you, know, you know ultimately the the things that have been said, regardless by by who, uh, are the right things. You know, the recruitment of certain players has has been poor. Um, I think possibly with hindsight though. I think some of the players that they've brought in that haven't necessarily performed, you would have expected to get more of a tune out of. But I think, you know, the players that that are in there, Paul Lambert has said pretty much every week, the players have given everything. And you you kind of suspect he knows better than anyone else that the club just simply doesn't have the the quality in their personnel. Uh, You've also seen the the club themselves issue a statement after the relegation to almost say there's going to be wholesale changes. You know, they need to do it. Um, they've acknowledged that, that, that there's issues kind of almost from top to bottom as well. Um, it's just too little too late, unfortunately. And I, I think that's the, the general consensus from the, the Stoke fans as well. And that seems to be a, a theme that's run through the Premier League pretty much all season for, for, for different clubs. And you look at the likes of Arsenal and fans have been calling for Arsene Wenger to leave for a long time. And obviously now he's going, but a lot of them are saying that he should have gone a couple of seasons ago. You look at other teams who've really struggled throughout the season and, and you you think they could have changed the manager earlier and they didn't and they're still down there fighting and it's it's one of these things that, that with the Premier League it's got so much money nowadays and I think that clubs are so scared to make decisions that could be pivotal in, in them either staying up or going down and they think actually we'll wait for the clubs around us to make those decisions and when they don't come they get too far into a, a real tight corner and they just can't get out of it. That's what I was just about to ask actually whether you think there's a a complacency among the, probably all of the Premier League clubs that they're in the so-called best league in the world. They they're earning a ridiculous amount of money just purely through television rights. That they almost don't expect failure to a certain extent. You know, every club to us, yeah, as I say, to a certain extent, have almost just tried to whether it be buy themselves out of trouble at, at the last minute, change the managers at the last minute, there's, there is just that kind of naivety and complacency that they can just coast through and then in the end it all comes crashing down. I th- yeah, I, I mean I think in England what's happened is we've become too reliant on the money that we've got to spend on, on footballers and therefore worked less hard on the tactical side of the game and that's why we see ourselves so far behind other countries when it comes to international football because you look at the majority of our players and they do play in the English leagues um, I think that tactically we're, we're not as good as the Spanish, we're not as good as the Germans, we're not as good as the Italians. But I think also from a transfer point of view, we, f- we fling far too much money at players who don't deserve to play at that level yep. because we see that as an easy win. And I think that a lot of Premier League clubs could do well to, to have a look at the, the sort of achievements of, of, of maybe a Huddersfield this year who've come up and rather than throwing a huge amount of cash at it, they've tried to use the players, the tactics and the manager to really almost push that club forward and, and, and another thing that they've done is, is integrate the fans and the community into that and there's so many good lessons that could be learned from a club like Huddersfield but unfortunately clubs won't do it because they see the money that they've got coming in as the, the most important thing rather than the fans of the club. And Stoke used to do that as well. You know, Stoke were uh, very reliant on those fans and, and the atmosphere and they were... The, there were the team that you looked out for and, and you, you feared for your club going to, to what was the Britannia Stadium at that point and yeah they, they did kind of lose those values as I said before and it's a real shame to see what's happened to them and you know they're, they're bottom of the league now which is, is almost embarrassing really given the fact that West Brom should have been relegated about 
four weeks ago, if not yeah. longer. Um, but speaking of which, um, they were still bottom, as we've said, as they kicked off against Spurs at the Hawthorns, and they battled all the way through and ended up winning 1-0 with virtually the last kick of the game, and it, it gave them a glimmer of hope that they were still alive, and, and as we say, that's ridiculous with one game left to play, considering the position they were in. Um, that they were basically re- relying on other results, whereas before it was purely reliant on their own form. Um, I, I'm I'm gutted that they've gone down after what they've done in recent weeks, and I think they've shown enough stale and determination that they possibly could have shown earlier on with the right leadership in place. Um, a lot of credit has to go to Darren Moore, and it, it's just a real shame that it's happened in the way that it has, where they've managed to get themselves in a position so far and and it's just not paid off. Yeah, I don't think any club in the Premier League has ever done well when they've had three managers in a season. It's just straight away you realise that something's seriously wrong there and the ownership's not right at West Brom. That's something that needs to be figured out because the current owner and the current board are singing from different hymn sheets. Obviously, he sacked members of the board just before Alan Pardew went in there, I think it was, or, yeah. or, or possibly just after. Um, and I think Darren Moore, when he first went in, was working under a bit of a cloud. But I suppose the the lack of pressure, the fact that they weren't expected to get anything from the games that they had left has, has probably allowed him to get on and work with those players without any real distractions that the likes of Stokes, Southampton, Swansea have had hanging over them for a little while because the expectation levels weren't there. He deserves a lot of credit. The players deserve a lot of credit. But... Everything will be lost unless they do something to appoint him sooner rather than later. If they leave it and if they interview other candidates, then the players in those squad, in, the players in that squad who want to play for him at the moment, will soon become disinterested, and the club will go the way that we thought it was going to go six, seven weeks ago. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, they they made a, a huge mistake with Pardew. I think many saw that before, but certainly in hindsight and within doing that they tried to change the, the style and identity a little that, that Tony Pulis had built and it was just the wrong time in the season and you know I've said over and over again that they the squad that they've got and they've, they've assembled over the years fit into a particular mould and a particular style of play for instance and if you try and divert away from that at the wrong time it's just going to be a disaster and, and that's what it was and you know I, I said earlier on in the season and, and I think a, f- a few people would have been surprised when I said that I thought West Brom had probably a better side than the most in the bottom half and I think y- you're right that playing without pressure obviously helps over the last few weeks but they've put performances against some of the Champions League chasing clubs and you know regardless of the circumstances if you can perform in that manner against those clubs with the the fairly limited resources that you've got, which they have, um, then it shows there's obviously some class there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the games that they've played of late. They've beaten Tottenham, they've beaten Manchester United, they've drawn with Liverpool. They've been so solid in all of those games as well, which is something that you haven't associated with that club for a long time. And that's where you have to give the players and the manager credit. You're right about the the, the quality of the playing squad is good enough. Um, and there's probably only one or two teams in the bottom half of the Premier League that you would consider would have better quality at the start of the season. But then my my sort of point on that is as the season's gone on, the players who you would have thought would have been comfortable in finishing probably in the top half at the start of the season seem to have regressed that much that I thought their quality had gone. I thought some of the legs had gone of the, the defenders at the back, but maybe there is something there that, that, that Darren Moore can work with. And undoubtedly, they've got a core of players who if they're able to hang on to, will be able to get them back out of the championship. 
but what they need to sort out first is the off-pitch issues and appoint a manager because the longer that it goes on without Darren Moore knowing what's happening the harder it will become for West Brom to come back up next year absolutely well we've then got Swansea and Southampton Swansea were very very poor against Bournemouth uh, they, they lost 1-0 they showed nothing to suggest they could stay up uh, and, and particularly the fixtures have favoured them really you know you, you look at their kind of last four or five games of the season that they were the ones that you'd look at and think yeah they, they could definitely be getting something from these games and you know it was in their hands to a certain extent as well and uh, you know the goal they conceded at the weekend was just so simple to defend against and it's just those basic errors that highlight why they've had such a poor season and of course that they've pretty much failed to score in, in most of the I think six of the last eight games that's right yeah I think they've scored two goals in eight games now which which is a record of a relegation threatened side and it's a shame for Swansea because about a month ago you wouldn't have even had them probably linked with a relegation battle yeah. I know that I talked about them a little bit because I wasn't overly convinced but I think when we both did our predictions about three four weeks ago we didn't have them finishing anywhere near the bottom three and um that's the difficult side of this is that that for that club they almost look like they're out of the woods Carvajal looked to have performed a miracle but they've 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 really struggled over the last three weeks whereas the sides around them have picked points up and that's where they've got dragged back into it and then obviously obviously we go on to what happened on Tuesday yeah absolutely I mean before we get there it's obviously worth saying that um, Swansea were, were still in it despite the defeat and one of the main reasons was Southampton didn't managed to see out the win at Everton um, yeah. I, you know there's there's a lot to be said for the refereeing decisions in that game it, there was there were some poor decisions but um, and, and I think you probably look at a few individual Southampton players as well and say there were some potentially poor decisions but again they've kept themselves alive actually on the face of it you'd have probably took a point before the game yeah you would have taken a point before the game and actually when when a few days had passed and I'd sort of finally got over what happened on Saturday because it was heartbreaking when that goal went in at the end um, you looked at it and actually one point was crucial three points weren't yeah. the the most important thing from a Southampton point of view was that we stayed in touch with the clubs above us and getting a point there actually took us out of the bottom three because Swansea got nothing at Bournemouth so from a psychological point of view and when the when the sort of paint had dried the dust had settled whatever you want to say those players possibly were able to take a positive from it um i blame ryan Bertrand solely for what happened on saturday I, I i understand that the referee added more time on than there should have been but from an experienced england's number one left back position where you know that the the time's gone over the the allotted time when does a when does a referee normally blow the whistle it's when the ball goes out of play so kick that ball as far as you can into the stand allow all of the players to regroup and hopefully by the time the players got the ball back John Moss blows his whistle. He blew it as soon as the uh, the kickoff was taken after the goal went in. So I think he was just waiting for that that moment. And if it had come down to that, and 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 if it still does, then he's got to take a huge amount of responsibility for that because somebody as experienced as him shouldn't be making those sort of simple mistakes. Yep, you're absolutely right. So it did come down to more or less a straight shootout when Swansea hosted Southampton on Tuesday, and it it was a one nil victory. For the Saints, thanks to a goal from substitute Manolo Gabbiadini, who, it's fair to say, found himself on uh, probably not how many of us would have thought he, he would have uh, entered the game, coming on for a centre-half. And I know that was slightly forced by uh, by the injury to Bednarak, but I was glad to see Hughes just go for it at that point. You know, he could have easily tried to close the game up a little bit more, make it a little bit more cagey. 
but he was willing to just take that risk and it was the risk he had to take as well well absolutely I, th- I think if if you don't go for it at that point then you're down um there was 25 minutes to go when he yep. came on maybe 20 minutes to go and we had to get a win out of that game if if we'd got a draw it wouldn't have been enough because Swansea are playing Stoke on the final day and it it was a brave move and it was it was one which when he was interviewed after the game he said yeah I was thinking of doing that anyway I'm not convinced that he would have brought a striker on for a centre back I think he was probably taking a little bit too much of the credit there but it paid off and and I don't necessarily think it was a matter of who was going to score that goal. I, I think it was a matter of when it was going to come because yeah. we created so many chances and the one person that you'd want pretty much every chance to fall to would be Charlie Austin. But every time it happened on Tuesday, it seemed to go straight at the keeper and it, it just seemed like it wasn't going to be our night. And that was it. You know, Over the two games that you've played in the last week, you've, you've probably been the better side for certainly one, possibly both. And I think when you're down there fighting at the bottom of the, bottom of the end of the season, sorry, and you you know you need every point you can get to also be out playing teams is is huge credit to the quality of the squad and you know realistically you'll be a lot more um, kind of pessimistic about Southampton than most uh, being one of their own fans but ultimately they are a squad with so much more quality and shouldn't be anywhere near this conversation if anything you know the very worst they should be in the conversation with the likes of Watford and Bournemouth who aren't really in a conversation yeah yeah the non the non conversation yeah. that is the middle of the premier league i agree with you i think that the the squad on paper is easily top half and they've proved that over the last five seasons by by consecutive top eight finishes the issue has been the 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 board taking very little action when we were almost sleeping sleepwalking towards relegation and Two weeks ago, two days ago, I couldn't see us getting out of it. As soon as that goal went in against Everton, I thought that would be the hammer blow and, and the players wouldn't be able to get over what had happened on Saturday and pick themselves back up for Tuesday night. But credit to them, credit to Mark Hughes. Uh, there's still a lot of the Southampton fan base who aren't convinced by him and I, I understand that because of what he's done to that Stoke side over the last 12 months. But I think that what we've got to do as a club is we've we've got to get this over the line. We've got to get Sunday out of the way and... and I know that it's very unlikely, but all the time that that there's still a possibility that we could go down, I'm genuinely nervous. Um, but obviously there's, there would have to be a 10-goal sw- swing, so Swansea would have to win 5-0, we'd have to lose 5-0, or whichever sort of... Swansea ever won 5-0? Possibly not, but I know Manchester City have scored eight goals this season, so yeah. if they were to do that again against us on Sunday, then, then Swansea would only have to beat Stoke 2-0. And as unlikely as it is as a Southampton fan you just can't ever rule anything like this out because it's the sort of thing that we'll do as a club and um, like I say as a club I think the most important thing for us now is get Sunday out of the way all being where we stay in the Premier League and then we seriously look at who's in in charge of making the decisions uh, the big decisions about the manager in that football club because as much credit as the, the board have deserved over the previous five seasons They've got two managers in a row, in a row wrong now. They've got Claude Puel wrong and they've also got Pellegrino wrong. We thought a few months ago that Claude Puel was actually a genius. He'd gone to Leicester and done a really good job and, and, and actually Southampton should have stuck with him. Now it looks like he's going to leave Leicester at the end of the season. Yep. Um, and maybe the, the, the board at Leicester saw him as a safe pair of hands, which Southampton did as well. But if you want to progress, then you need somebody who's forward thinking. You need somebody with experience. And I would be, be happy to give Mark Hughes a contract based on the last few games I think it's it's fair um, when you consider what he's done but I don't necessarily see him as the long term future of Southampton No that that all sounds fair and I, I think just a, a quick last word on Swansea you know 
they were second best in the game. They put a lot of effort in, but offered very little. And you know, all they really did was pump the ball into the area. And when you've got two strikers who don't score very often anyway, but also aren't really renowned for being uh, aerial presence, uh, in the two Ayu brothers, which, which is quite nice, rolls off the tongue very well. Or, brothers. or the brothers Ayu, as Andy Hinchcliffe was calling them on <laughs> on, on the commentary on Tuesday yeah, night. I, I like that too, but you know they they really did offer nothing and you know Jordan Ayew for instance I, having watched him at Villa he's much better at playing out wide and cutting in and he did have one really good chance really good opportunity to do that um, and, and almost scored well, has it not been uh, for, for a great save yeah and, and, and that's been the problem with Swansea of of recent weeks is, is is the goals haven't been coming and that's where they have struggled and, and we'll talk about Huddersfield in a second and they're another team who've managed to, to go a lot of games this season without scoring goals but the difference between the two is they've had a very solid back four and a very solid midfield four in front of them and that's ultimately the difference between staying in the Premier League and going down. Yes and, and just uh, it's, it's worth saying that obviously the win for Southampton also relegated West Brom Hope you feel good about that, um, but you know the the, the the only hope that they. I had... wasn't in, just to clarify. I was not involved in that result on Tuesday. Okay, it's not my fault that West Brom got relegated. I saw you laughing at them. Um, yeah, it's you know the only hope they had was the game went into a was a draw and they went into the final weekend still needing to win and, and other results going for them as well. But um, yeah, obviously th- there's two clubs down then, uh, and and you've got one to go. And other than. Uh, other than Southampton who've got out of it there was Huddersfield really and he didn't really give them much chance when it came to Sunday and they had Manchester City away and it was supposed to be the kind of exhibition game where they were like the Harlem Globetrotters putting on a show before lifting the trophy in front of their their home fans and just wasn't to be and Huddersfield put in a, a massive performance so not just a gritty defensive performance as well they had some decent chances and you know finished nil nil but again a point away at Manchester City for anyone at any stage of the season is a huge result and it's a a huge huge result for them because it took them into the game against Chelsea again just needing a point to to stay up yeah that's right the the most impressive thing from a Huddersfield point of view on Sunday wasn't just the fact that they created chances it was the fact they were able to contain the the best attack the Premier League's ever seen if you look at the amount of goals scored Manchester City have broken all the records this season the amount of chances that they create it's so hard as a defensive team not to get dragged into a position where you you were essentially just playing attack against defence all all game. I thought Huddersfield's attackers defended from the front, which allowed them the the space for the midfielders and the defenders to actually push City back at times, and that was that was incredibly incredibly impressive. I watched the game last night against Chelsea, and they thoroughly deserved the point in that one as well. Yes, Chelsea dominated. Yes, Chelsea had probably 70% possession. I haven't seen the stats, but they created a lot more than Huddersfield did, but they dug in. It may well have been a foul on the goalkeeper. It may well have been luck that they that they managed to get that goal. But you know what? They deserve that because they've had games this season where things have gone against them. And like I said earlier on, a lot of teams coming into the Premier League, a lot of teams who are already in the Premier League could learn a lot from that club, both on and off the pitch. Yeah, I mean, you talk about luck. The the luck on the equaliser for Chelsea is just hit him in the face and bounce. Yeah, exactly. So, you, you know, it, it goes for you. It doesn't sometimes. and. It, some of that defending at the end yes it was last ditch yes it was quite unconventional at times but there was also quality in there as well it was just organisation it was um, a a little bit of patience as well you know they were happy to just let them come on organise themselves and and when they couldn't be organised they at least made sure they got bodies behind the ball and you would say that you know the likes of Stoke West Brom Swansea would be looking at that thinking do you know what if we'd have done that 
two or three times this season, we could have saved ourselves as well. Absolutely right. There's 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 one thing that I would be slightly worried about as a Huddersfield fan, and that's the future of David Wagner. I got a text from our mate Bundesliga Bill earlier this week, right. and he's got a bit of an inside scoop. I don't know where he's got his information from. Probably German media. Um, but apparently David Wagner's lined up to go to Frankfurt as. Uh, Obviously, their manager is going to take over at Bayern Munich. So Huddersfield have got a bit of a fight in their hands to keep hold of him because Frankfurt have had a good season in uh, in the Bundesliga this year and it will take a huge effort from anyone other than David Wagner to get them over the line again next season unless there's a bit of an overhaul of that squad. I think they've had a little bit of a party, haven't they, as well? Yes. They um, fr- From what I can gather, they were supposed to fly home from the game last night and then... They they were going to get the coach instead because I think they could have a, f- a few more beers to prolong the celebrations. But the driver couldn't drive out of hours, so they just went out in London instead. And I don't think they had a hotel booked, so they were planning on just staying out and then travelling back today. So the game against Arsenal on Sunday is going to be a really interesting one. I suspect they couldn't give a shit if they lost 10-0, really. I think you're absolutely right. The pressure's off and it will be a party atmosphere down yeah. at the John Smiths and there will be a huge amount of beer consumed by uh, by quite a few fans, I'm sure. But they deserve it because David Wagner said it last night, it feels better than promotion. And um, as a Huddersfield fan, I don't necessarily think that any of you expected you to stay up this season and fair play because you've earned that um, that place in the Premier League next season. Absolutely superb. And then just, just finally, just a quick word on Crystal Palace and West Ham who I think we're probably both safe anyway but you know they, they confirmed that this weekend. Crystal Palace won away at Stoke which we've already spoken about and West Ham were always in a good position of approaching the conclusion of the season. Got a, a win away at Leicester which is no great surprise at the moment really uh, but we'll talk, about the, we'll talk about them afterwards. But you know... They, they need this season to finish West Ham and, and it just seems like another summer of starting again and you know I'm, I'm not sure if Moyes is the answer for them or, or actually the the kind of comfort blanket approach that he potentially does offer is is maybe the right approach on what they need. I'd be very surprised if David Moyes is there next season. I think that they will go for a, a bigger name. I think that they yep. will try and attract better players to that football club in the summer because they've recognised that the signings that they've made in the past have been poor and it wouldn't surprise me to see them go for a sporting director, somebody who can be in charge of the transfers at West Ham because they've been pretty woeful over the years and what they really need is a striker. If it wasn't for Marco Arnautovic this season and yes, Javier Hernandez has sort of chipped in from time to time but they need somebody who's going to get them 15 Premier League goals every season and you can't rely on the likes of Hernandez and Carroll because both are injury prone and I think that somebody needs to go in there with the amount of money that that club's got they shouldn't be where they are at the moment and um, the problem that they've got is any sniff of going to the Championship is where any money that they've got and, and they will possibly have will just go out the window. So, uh, huge summer ahead for West Ham. Absolutely. And speaking of the Championship, join us after this short break where we'll tell you all about the final weekend of the full season. Sorry, guys. I, I was going to, you know, kick it up the other end and just put one right in their fucking goal hole, but no dice. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sweep Podcast and we are taking an almost final trip to the Championship and... As I say, it was the full final weekend of the season and plenty to play for for a number of clubs fighting relegation, also some looking for playoff places and, of course, confirmation of the second automatic promotion place as well. Starting again at the bottom, though, uh, Burton, Barnsley, Bolton, Birmingham and Reading, ruining the bees there, Reading. They were uh, all in trouble, all had tough games as well and Bolton and Birmingham won with Bolton scoring twice in the last five minutes to beat Nottingham Forest 3-2. And Birmingham, quite surprisingly, beating Fulham 3-1. Did you see the uh, guy who agreed to get an Aaron Wilbraham yes. tattoo? Because I think Aaron, did Aaron Wilbraham score one of those goals? Bolton, yeah. 
an absolute toss bag. Um, this was uh, so, so Fulham's automatic promotion hopes uh, dashed there, and you know Cardiff only drawing against Reading, who were uh, of course also needing something. So an, an away draw was perfect for both clubs there, which saw the Royals survive. Cardiff celebrate automatic promotion, but we'll come on to them shortly. As well as those results, unfortunately Barnsley and Burton couldn't do themselves any favours and both lost against playoff chasers Derby and Preston respectively, which saw them relegated, along with already relegated Sunderland, who are hitting a bit of form. Uh, they beat the champions Wolves 3-0 at Stadium Alight and absolutely no idea where that's come from. But uh, on to those playoff chasers. Derby were looking comfortable coasting to a 4-1 win against Barnsley, which meant Preston had no chance regardless. But it was all about Derby's battle with Middlesbrough for 5th and 6th place. In the final 20 minutes or so, it's chopped and changed twice each, I think. We were together, I was getting very excited that we were going to be playing Derby in the uh, in the playoffs, and my, my hopes were dashed when uh, a 96-minute equaliser against Ipswich saw Middlesbrough confirm 5th place. And, and as I say, a tie with us in the semi-finals while Derby take on Fulham this weekend. Nobody likes a 96-minute equaliser. 96-minute equalisers can piss off. Absolutely right. If we're going to take anything from this weekend, <laughs> then there should never be a 96-minute. Football should finish on 95. Just stop there. It should. It started in 1992, and it should finish in the 96th minute. Absolutely the right. Minute. Uh, but as I said, Cardiff went up automatically, and... Um, a remarkable story for them, who who wouldn't have been tipped by many to cause any problems, let alone yeah, get promoted. And I, I, th- I think I called them a surprise package. I'm having this, but I will try and dig it out. We will wait and see on this one. Yeah, it's, I, a, it's a big call if you did. I, I, I'm pretty sure many months ago I said I wouldn't be surprised to see them at least make a, a dash for the playoffs. But Neil Warnock has done a fantastic job there with fairly limited resources and it, it it's an odd one to say that Neil Warnock's come back to the Premier League, but I'm quite looking forward to it. I hope it, it lasts longer than a few games. And, of course, many people's favourites, Vincent Tan, is also coming back to the Premier League. Of course he is. Are you going to dress up as him again? Um, There is a distinct possibility that I will dress up as Vincent Tan again. Or maybe you could dress up as Neil Warnock. Uh, is that less likely? It's one step too far. Okay, that's fine. Um, But, yeah, I mean, a quick one on Cardiff. I think that... They, they wouldn't have been anyone's real shout for automatic promotion, no. certainly. I think that you could have seen them getting a, a playoff position, but it was pretty crucial this season because it's been a few years since they've been in the Premier League and the parachute payments have probably dried up from that point of view. Nobody really expected Neil Warnock to go in there and do a good job, but I think that the way that he almost kept Rotherham, Rotherham in the league previously when... Um, in fact, no, I think he did, he did keep yeah. he, he, he did. kept them in the league and then he, then he left in the summer, didn't he? And, and he went to Cardiff. I think that... He showed there that he still had the ability to, to motivate players and he'll be the first to admit that his teams don't play the most attractive football, but he gets people trying and they all work in the same direction, quite similar to somebody like Sean Dyche. And, um, yep. He's obviously shown that he's very deserving of a place in the Premier League and obviously Cardiff fans will be hoping that they can uh, do a Huddersfield next year and stay up. Absolutely. Should we take a trip to Deutschland? For almost the last time yes. I don't think there will be many people crying many tears about <laughs> our lack of German trips next season and Hertha after building us up for a few weeks with the hope that they could salvage something from this fairly abject season and qualify for the Europa League again they let us down of course they did they lost 3-1 away at Hanover and um, everybody had above them and around them won anyway so it wouldn't really have had a, a, a huge amount of difference on the on the final standings or the penultimate standings of the Bundesliga they were 3-0 down at half time it was game over 
Davy Silker kept up his fine form at the end of the season score what obviously just proved to be a consolation goal and uh, next week they they oh sorry this week of course they play Red Bull Leipzig and uh, they'll be looking for a win to guarantee Europa League football and they do still have a slight chance for a Champions League qualification place if results go their way and then we can bid Alf Wiedersehen to the lads once and for all Get in there well done, he's 13. Game set and match, Owen. Welcome back to the third part of this week's FIFA podcast and it's time to round up the Premier League with the best of the rest, starting with Leicester City. Yes, Leicester, we've spoken about them losing to West Ham and they followed that with a 3-1 win over Arsenal at home and, you know, it's not a great surprise that you can beat Arsenal at home and I think anyone can beat Arsenal at home now. Not won a league game away from home since Christmas it, yeah I mean it's an absolute joke but we'll get on to them shortly Leicester though absolutely dreadful on uh, Saturday against West Ham and massively second best for that game and, and have been for quite a few games recently and you just wonder what's next for them they've, they've obviously got Puel who looks to be off and you know, I, I think they're possibly not as big a draw as they were say at the start of this season they probably haven't been anyway that you know they, they shouldn't be other than the fact they won the league a few years ago but you know they're probably going to lose their best player in Myers as well, and you just wonder what's what's next. What what is Leicester? What's the job at Leicester now? I think the the difficulty that Leicester have got is that a lot of their players who were part of that Premier League winning season have come to the twilight of their career. Yeah, they they were in yeah. their prime when they won it, and they're now at a stage where they're they're probably not good enough to compete anywhere near the level that they did. And you look at the likes of Robert Huth, you look at Wes Morgan, Vardy even to a certain degree. I know that he's had a good season this season, but he's got to look at his career and think he's maybe got one or two good years left at the top. And if a top six club comes in for him, if I was him, I'd be moving on. He's yeah. been very loyal to Leicester over the past couple of seasons and they've been very loyal to him. I think he's on about £100,000 a week, which he wasn't ever going to get anywhere else. And it's important for him now to consider whether he wants to win things or whether he just wants to sit there and earn money for, for the rest of his career because once the service from the likes of Mahrez goes, it becomes a hell of a lot harder for them to replace that, that type of player. I think that players wanted to go to Leicester to join the likes of Vardy and Mahrez when they were when they're in their prime and now it looks as though the the collective of players there is is almost like a jigsaw puzzle with a few pieces missing. Yeah, you're right. I think, you know, they they have a, a very distinct style of play when they are kind of successful. Um and that works, but it becomes a lot more predictable and as you say, the it, it it's kind of slowed down over the over the last season or so as well. So it, it becomes even easier to play against and you think if there's not another option, if there's not a plan B at times or, or even just a complete change in style full stop, then they're only going to decline and you know, as we've said before, Puel was a safe pair of hands and it did look quite positive when he came in at first and there were slight tweaks and changes but ultimately he did just bring them back to the style they were used to playing and that got them miles away from, from the relegation zone which was ultimately his main aim. Yeah. Um, but, you know, th- there's there's a hell of a long way to go now. Yeah, I think when you look at how when Claude Puel did well at Leicester it was when he went in there and he hadn't had time to work too much on the sort of yeah. tactics that he wanted to implement since he's had time to do that they've gone downhill and I think that's probably a sign of the fact that the players maybe weren't trying as hard as they should have been previously and and when they went in there he gave them a little bit of a lift but he's not the sort of manager that that football club need to take them forward if they want to build on the money that they've got and build on the success that they've had over the past couple of seasons then they need to make a change in the summer. Do you think the the fans are still on board? Oh yeah massively I think that 
if I was a Leicester fan, I'd be engaged for the rest of my life, regardless of what happened. You've won the Premier League. Yeah. Nobody's ever going to do that again or, or, or certainly won't in the current sort of climate when it comes to money. We've seen how big the gap is this season between the top four, top five clubs and everybody else. And all the while that those fans are able to continue to ride the uh, the wave that was winning the Premier League title, they'll stick with that club for, for, for a long time. Absolutely. It was a shame to see that lap of honour at the end of the uh, West Ham game where there was almost an empty stadium. But I, I wonder whether there was some confusion as they had another home game left. Um, it was kind of the 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 end of season walk around the pitch where you, you try and take the applause. There was no one there, yet they still had Arsenal left to play. Well, that's because there was clear miscommunication yeah. between, <laughs> between the fans. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think any of them would have expected that to happen. And if you just lost at home to West Ham, would you want to hang around and clap the players knowing that you're going to see them again in a few <laughs> days' time? I certainly wouldn't. I'm I'd not sure I'd want to go back in a few days' time. That's very honest. true as well. Let's move on to Watford 2, Newcastle 1. Obviously, Watford are a team who've been safe for a long time now. We could say the same about Newcastle. Yep. It was one of those games where you expected goals, but maybe not too many great performances. And I think this was pretty much as expected from this game on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, one thing I would say, I thought Watford looked uh, more similar to the that they did at the start of the season. And there was some fantastic football and, and they, they were quite quick as well, which they haven't seemed over the last few weeks. And that they were... Uh, setting up at blistering pace at the start of the season and, and almost shocking teams with some of their uh, some of their play and their tactics and there was obviously a lot of individual performances that, that you could applaud earlier on in the season as well and I, I think that was probably the same on Saturday but I think with Watford they've got a really good foundation where if they can keep a lot of these players together now um, and, and obviously have well I say obviously have but perhaps have some consistency with the manager equally that's not necessarily worked for them in the past so who knows whether Grassi is still going to be there in the summer or not but I think regardless the the, the playing staff now are uh, probably at a level above where Watford have been so far since they've been back in the Premier League. Yeah they're able to attract players um, if not permanently then on loan and those players like to come to the Premier League because it puts you in a shop window obviously the the games are shown all over the place and I think that they should stick with, with Javi Grazia I think that he's done a great job in stabilising the club when it looked like the only way that they were going was down the table before he came in they picked up some some very vital wins and if he's able to do that next season then then fair enough I think that, that he deserves the chance for a full shot at the Premier League the likelihood is he probably won't be there in 18 yeah. months time but like you said that's not the Watford model the, the the model is that you come in you do your job for a couple of seasons if you're lucky and then you go out and they replace you with somebody else and all the time that that works I don't think the Watford fans should feel too down about it they spent a long time out of the Premier League and, and the fact that they're now back and they're established in that league means that those fans should look forward to every game and Newcastle they'll be obviously very very happy to stay up and you know as you say it's been relatively comfortable the last few weeks which has been great for them and it's a huge summer with uh, a lot of uncertainty at the moment I think the two key elements are obviously keeping Rafa Benitez and then spending money but you suspect that they both go hand in hand yeah that's right I think that Keeping old Benitez is the most important thing, but he won't want to sign a long-term contract unless he's going to be able to go out and spend some cash. I think that's been the problem. And they did so well in January to bring in players who made a difference to them in Kennedy and Dubravka. And um, I think they should aim to make those two permanent and, and then, then go from there. And if they can do that, then they'll give themselves a good chance of, of another good finish. I think if you'd have offered Newcastle top 10 at the start of the season, they would have bitten your hand off. And, yeah. and, and that's the... 
that's still a possibility for them, I think, as 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 far as the league table goes. If not, that they can finish towards the top of the bottom half. And a few weeks ago, even Newcastle fans would have snapped your hand off. So, it's all about realism with that club. It's very easy because the expectations are so high of the fans. Um, I think if they can stabilise and uh, as long as they finish around about where they are again next season, then those fans have got cause for optimism in coming seasons, providing they can hold on to Rafa. Yes, indeed. Let's have a look at our kind of Europa League. Uh, hopes going forward uh, Arsenal a, a 5-0 win against Burnley and it was Arsene Wenger's last home game and he signed off in style with a performance we've probably come to expect maybe less so in recent years but from Arsenal it was very much peak Arsene's Arsenal at times and uh, Lacazette and Aubameyang in particular looked promising and, and it's a real prospect for next season and you think the, the next manager will have seen those performances and, and really will relish having those at his disposal? Yeah, the problem with Arsenal is always that they, they can't follow up their home performances with results away from home, and we've talked about that already. The, the the game against Burnley on Saturday was pretty much the perfect one because it was a team that were almost guaranteed to finish in seventh position and, yeah. and, and therefore guaranteeing them European football. And I don't think that Sean Dyche would have minded too much about the result or the performance because... The, the the level of performance throughout the season from Burnley has been as good, if not better, than than pretty much every other team in the league. And I'm talking more there about the the group of players that he's got. When when we go back and talk about Arsenal, I think there's there's a clear out needed in the summer. I think that there's too many players there that aren't willing to put the performances in that you need to finish in the top four in the Premier League. The defence has been a problem for a long time. As much as Callum Chambers tries very hard and was was probably Arsenal's best player against. Atletico Madrid in the second leg of the semi-final I'm still not sure that he's up to it I don't think that he's a natural centre-back I don't think Mustafi's good enough in that position either and I think that the young Greek chap that's just come in I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name <laughs> but he's been thrown into early by Wenger as well and that just shows that with the injury to Koscielny as well they're going to be pressed into to some sort of activity in the transfer market when it comes to centre-backs in the summer and that's the one key position for me that they need to get right Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one because this, the calibre of managers that are potentially looking to bring in will request funds to go and buy players. Anyone that you would gravitate towards if you were a, a member of the Arsenal board? Um, I mean, Allegri has been mentioned a lot and, you know, you only have to look at his success with Juventus. That said, uh, that league with that team should be winnable every single year anyway. So it, it's difficult to, to suggest that he'll be able to just come in and... and rock up at Arsenal and do a job um, but equally to have those credentials in the first place you, you've got to be a very good manager I am still quite keen on on the thought of a former player going there so I think they were singing Vieira's name at the game on Sunday which is a, a, an interesting link it's certainly one that, that probably won't go away um, and if he was the the option to come in and, and do that job then yeah who, who knows and, and I think he as we spoke about before when, when we talked about Wenger announcing he was going to leave I think somebody who knows that club is, is potentially more important than somebody with um, the the kind of honours that Allegri might have abroad. Yeah I wonder whether they might go for someone like Thomas Tuchel I think that obviously he's worked with, with members of the um, Arsenal coaching staff previously and um, also the sporting director there and you look at the lift that Jurgen Klopp's given Liverpool since he's gone in there and the fact that they've got a lot of the fans back on board and they're actually challenging for honours now which they weren't for a while and, and that could be a real key to Arsenal changing things I think one of the main issues that they've got is a real disconnect between the fans and the players at that club and you see that if you ever watch anything like Arsenal TV or when you look at the amount of criticism that they 
that they receive from the fans and and how they're not really behind them and that's the complete opposite to how they were at Highbury and that's something that they need to fix as well and it goes back to what we were talking about Huddersfield earlier in the in the, in the program if you're able to to make a connection between your fans then that can get you an extra three to six points a season just in terms of them being able to lift you for for, for the games where you're struggling and I think that it's a pivotal appointment in the same way that when Ferguson left Old Trafford, it, it was massive yep. and they ultimately made the, the wrong decision in appointing David Moyes then. And, and that's why the board need to learn from that mistake to ensure that they bring in the best person to move the football club forward. Yeah, I think the, the only issue with uh, Thomas Tuchel is the lover's tiff that he had with the uh, uh, is it chief scout, Sven Mislintop. That's right, yeah. But I, I would just... The thing is, he's not going to have... He's not going to have he's not going to have the say on who goes in there. I think it's going to be members of the board, and they worked very well previously. Yeah. Um, there's there's absolutely no reason why they can't do that again. And I mean, you look at Liverpool, Klopp and his assistant manager, who's currently not there, have fallen out many times publicly, and yet they've done such a great job at Liverpool. So sometimes lovers' tiffs come from people who are so passionate about something, but just have different ideas. I'm talking about football here, people, not <laughs> not, not not anything else. Um. And, and and sometimes you just need that spark to, to really ignite a football club and ignite some of those players. And he is somebody who's so passionate and, he, and he's cut from the same cloth as, as Jurgen Klopp. I think he could do really well there. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fantastic to the tributes for Wenger over the weekend. And it was nice to see the applause and the credit that he, he did deserve from the crowd. And, you know, they haven't always supported him, but it was a fantastic way to send him off. And... As we've said, you know, he kind of ruined that by losing uh, at Leicester last night. But, <laughs> you know, aside from that, they came up against a Burnley side who could have made it really, really difficult for them. And, and you know, they, they won in style. And I think just a quick word on Burnley, it was quite uncharacteristic for them. But they possibly looked a bit tired and off the pace. But they've done so much this season that you could almost afford them a, a bit of a, a game off and a bit of a holiday. That's right. And I, Sean Dyche, for me, is manager of the season. I, I can't look at anybody else um, other than Mark Hughes, obviously. And no, I'm, I'm joking. I, I just think that what he's done for that football club in stabilising them and then taking them to this level is beyond any Burnley fans' dreams. And they weren't far off the Champions League spots for quite a while this season. And I think they, they went on a run of about one win in 15 games. And if they'd have managed to pick up another couple, then they could have quite easily finished above Arsenal. So I think Sean Dyche deserves massive credit. I think that he will eventually go to a, a different club. I think that he's probably moved ahead of the likes of Eddie Howe now in, in terms of who's going to be the next one to step up. And um, rightfully, I think that, that he deserves a, a chance at, at a bigger club. But I hope for Burnley's sake that he's still there next season to take him through the Europa League process. Maybe you'll get a job at Chelsea. Sean Dyche. <laughs> no you, chance. You never know. <laughs> Speaking of which, Chelsea beat Liverpool one uh, nil on Sunday, and it was uh, it was it was a game that that had both clubs fighting for the, the qualification of the Champions League. It was really important for them, and there were two strong lineups. And on another day, this this game could have been a thriller in terms of goals. Both sides had plenty of chances, with both the keepers making some good saves, and and it, it finished one nil to Chelsea. And I I, I think. This this game in particular saw Chelsea turn it on uh, against the Liverpool side, who possibly still a little bit jubilant following the Champions League qualification through to the final, but possibly a bit leggy as well. Um, and you think from Chelsea's point of view, then Huddersfield at home the next game, brilliant. We've set ourselves up for a really good uh, end to the season, and, and we should be qualifying for the Champions League. Obviously, there's there's issues there, but. It's really important for both of these clubs to qualify for the Champions League and 
you know, we'll, we'll talk about Tottenham afterwards, but my worry for both of them is that there's players at both of those clubs that could potentially leave if they don't get in the Champions League. And I think Liverpool are in a strong position given the season they've had. They're probably The expectation on them probably wasn't as high, yet they've massively overachieved. They've delivered, they're in the Champions League final, and they've got a very, very good chance of winning that as well. So the, the likes of Salah, Firmino, Mane, whoever else is in that squad that clubs may be looking at to sign... I think they've got a decent chance of keeping hold of them all. Chelsea, on the other hand, if they're not in the Champions League, they could lose... You could argue any of those players in that squad, but in particular, you look at Hazard, Kante, Courtois, Willian, Morata, Alonso. You know, the, the list is endless, and you just worry that there could be a mass exodus there. And I think with all of the issues that are going on behind the scenes with Conte if they don't have a manager there to kind of steady the ship very early doors after the World Cup, they're, they're going to find themselves in real trouble. There's absolutely no chance that Eden Hazard will be there at the start of next season if they are not playing Champions League football and that would take Liverpool to lose and, and Chelsea yeah. to win over the weekend, which is very unlikely. And um, I think that it's time that they, they changed a lot at that club because I think that Conte... to you, you look at Chelsea over the last three seasons, you had a season where they finished, I think, eighth... You had a season when they won the Premier League and then this season they're now, what, fifth? Mm-hmm. And there's if if you've got a squad there who are good enough to win the Premier League at a canter like they did last season... At a canter. At a canter, yeah. li- like they did last season, there's no way that you should allow it to drop off that much. It's just... Uh, it's, it's, it's just either a lack of effort or a lack of tactics from the manager. And, and I know there's there's been fallouts about transfer targets but you've got to put that to one side and all the while that that sort of thing rumbles on you're going to have players who will expect that they can walk into the whoever's in charge of the transfers at, at Stamford Bridge and, and put a transfer request in and be gone themselves it's definitely a combination of, of a few things but I think if you move back a few years to when the likes of Terry Lampard Drogba were there they wouldn't have settled for this sort, you know, these sorts of performances. The lack of effort. Um, you would imagine they would probably put more pressure on the the board to get rid of the manager sooner as well. Um, I, I can't imagine John Terry being quiet in the background if something like that was going on. So, a, a lot has changed at Chelsea, and I think they're possibly going through a period of transition. What they need to avoid is going through one similar to Arsenal, where they become so used to qualifying outside of the Champions League places and they are losing players every single year and, and, and they just get weaker and weaker. Chelsea have still got a, a fair few things on their side. They're still a very centrally based London club. They've still got a hell of a lot of money. They still have a, a good reputation at the minute. Um, you only have to see the, the players that they have actually brought in over the last few years to see that they can still sign quality players but that that just won't last without any success. I think whoever goes in there needs to work on that youth setup because that youth setup is one of the best, if not the best, in Europe. And these players keep getting farmed out on loan. And the the whole point of having a good youth system is to integrate those players players into the first team. And all the while that's not happening, there's going to be discontent off the pitch. There's going to be a a disconnect between the youth teams and the first team because. Why should a youth team manager work so hard and why should a youth team scout work so hard to bring the best players to Chelsea if they're then not going to get a chance in the first team? It doesn't make any sense. So I think that whoever goes in there in the summer needs to try and integrate some of those players into the Premier League first team. You look at the likes of Loftus-Cheek, you look at how well he's done at Crystal Palace this season, there's no reason why he couldn't be 
in that Chelsea team ahead of somebody like Ross Barkley. He's easily good enough and that's where they need to consider the amount of money that they're spending on players who aren't coming in and doing a good enough job, who aren't showing enough commitment to the cause and, and it will yet again, as we've said for quite a few clubs already, be a massive summer for Chelsea off the pitch. Yes, massive summer for Spurs as well who last night did qualify for the uh, for the Champions League places so th- that's huge for them I think after losing to West Brom at the weekend there was a real danger that they would end up dropping out of those places but a 1-0 win against Newcastle was was tough um, but I think with a season with no silverware a season next season going into the new stadium they had to have something to hang their hats on um, they've got to keep the manager and the players and, and as well as keeping them keep them happy um, but I think it could be a tough summer. I think they could get a few approaches for players, and there's there's something not quite right there with Spurs. I don't know what it is. I, I I've seen a number of things saying that that the manager could leave or should leave, and and I don't think that is the case, and and that would be right. And equally, I think there there'll be a, enough calls for um, for players to leave as well to go and progress their careers. They they have all the foundations to build something at Spurs. They just need to get their, their heads right and the mentality right and do that. That's right. And I would get rid of people who don't want to be there, ultimately. I think that Pochettino will want to lead that club out of the new stadium. I think that it's an exciting time for the fans. But what we don't know is what the budget's going to be like. Obviously, it makes a huge difference being in the Champions League. But Arsenal were in the Champions League year in, year out when yep. they moved to the Emirates. And that didn't work for them. They went through fallow periods because they were unable to sign the players that they had done previously. They they ran out of money and that was well documented. It's it's going to be difficult, but you would imagine in somebody like Daniel Levy that he will have had a contingency for this sort of thing and you would hope that there's been a good reason for not offering these so-called mercenaries new contracts because maybe they want to save that to to make sure that the likes of Ericsson and Kane and, and, and Ali stay at the club. Yeah, just a, a, a quick word on Manchester United before we get on to... Uh, the 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 league winners Manchester City on Friday they lost to Brighton who uh, we have to give some credit to we haven't even included them in the in the kind of relegation section of this this episode and that that speaks volumes really um, what result it was for them as a hard working performance organised determined and there was no real danger or panic they did come up against the side in Manchester United who uh, they looked very very poor and abject and. Mourinho wasn't happy uh, after the game. I think he is potentially looking to to secure some funds for next season, and you know he was very uh, um, very clear and obvious that he was missing Lukaku, and as a result of that, that obviously meant that the performances from those that you could argue have come in and replaced Lukaku weren't good enough. You look at uh, Martial and Rashford as as those two, and you worry that that sort of public um, uh, criticism isn't going to do them any favours at all. But you can't expect players who haven't started games no, for a long time right. to go into a, a, a game like that and just suddenly be, be as good as Lukaku. The reason that Lukaku's been so good from this season, the reason that he talks him up so much, is because he started every game and, and with consistency comes performances. The likes of Martial, the likes of Rashford, haven't had a chance to play 10 games in a row, let alone 35, and that's where you get your confidence from. You look at somebody like Jesse Lingard, he was coming... And he was playing more in that team, and that's where he suddenly hit a purple patch. It's not rocket science, and the, the the problem there is they've got too many players to squeeze into not enough positions. Once they get rid of one or maybe two in the summer, it should become clearer. But Mourinho's another man with a huge amount of pressure on his shoulders because the amount of money that they spent at Manchester United, or the amount of money that they will obviously spend again this summer, means that if if he fails to 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 even get close to Manchester City next season, then his credentials 
as a top top manager will be questioned yes and speaking of Manchester City they are finishing the season obviously with a draw against Huddersfield at the weekend and then coming up against that Brighton team they beat them 3-1 and uh, you know that you, you could afford Brighton to basically not turn up for the last couple of games of the season once they've stayed up but just a, a few things obviously the celebrations at Manchester City and they lifted the trophy first of all who was the girl at the centre of the trophy celebrations right smack bang in the middle of it no idea did you see the uh, the video that Carl Walker put on of yes. um, Kevin De Bruyne knocking Incredible. the trophy off very very funny if you haven't seen that check that out there's a uh, a home alone connection in there, isn't there? And that the, that was before they'd even lifted the trophy. So That's that was right. when uh, Yaya Tori, who's, who's on his way out, came up to uh, get his medal, and they've they've got this thing where they just smack him on the top of the head, haven't they? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which I quite like, but obviously in doing so, they uh, knocked the trophy off the stand. So, yeah, it was um, it was a good to see a, a proper send off. Last night's game was really for Tori. He he came in and captain the side and. I think that what I've really liked about Manchester City over the last few games, and you saw it in the celebrations, is there's a real togetherness in that squad, and it's not just the squad, it's the staff as well, and pretty much every man and his dog who works for Manchester City was on the pitch with them on Sunday, and I think you you rarely see, I don't know whether there's more people there than anywhere else, but you rarely see that many people involved in the celebrations, and I think that's potentially something that Pep Guardiola has looked to build a, a kind of family around the squad and you can see that from whoever they spoke to individually it was all about the team and company speaks very eloquently about this sort of thing and he spoke very very well about Guardiola and the things that he's done over the last two years since he's come in. Yeah, Manchester City have been brilliant this season and, and they've been brilliant off the pitch as well and they're one of the teams, uh, again, similar to, to what Huddersfield do. They they do things right at that club. They're um, very community-based. They've um, got a stadium in, in what was a a real rundown part of Manchester and they've they've brought a huge amount of new jobs into into that area and really boosted the local economy and I think from that you've you've probably picked up quite a few fans who either earlier in their their lives were undecided or or, or maybe were fans of of Manchester United and 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 that's the that's the difference that being a club like that can make whereas Manchester United are probably more of a global brand I think that Manchester City are probably more of a local brand yeah. and, and, and there's a lot to be learnt from that and like I say I still can't get my head around why more clubs don't do it because how hard is it to get people singing from the same hymn sheet how hard is it to integrate the players into other other areas of the club and, and, and that's how it used to be in football clubs and, and as the years have gone on and as, as footballers have become more more celebrities than anything else there's been this real divide between the two populations and um, I, I think it's a really good blueprint for clubs who want to achieve success to follow because if you get that right then you've got really good foundations to build upon and it's frustrating because there's more avenues for communication now as well there's the with the rise of social media absolutely everybody is following everything so it's at your fingertips constantly and i know you have to be careful with it in the same breath but if you as you say if you do it right it's so easy to do as well take note jolian lescott <laughs> well that's all for the premier league this week we'll obviously be back next week for the final weekend of the season not too much to cover there it's only really that last relegation place with Southampton sweating over that 10 goal I'll uh, be honest with you mate if, if if we go down on Sunday there will be no pod from me next <laughs> week you will be doing it on your own and uh, I will be in hiding until uh, a good amount of time into the summer so um, yeah fingers crossed that doesn't happen Quiz Quiz Quiz. <laughs>
quiz. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Sweeper podcast and it's time for the quiz. Now, after 18 rounds each, the scores could not be much closer. I'm on 33 points, Mitch on 32. With one point in it, we are both aiming for a hatful of points today ahead of next week's final, final quiz of this season. And it will also be the final Premier League pod of the year. So we thought we'd do things a little bit differently this week. We've been talking about it for a little while and we said that we both obviously support Southampton in my case, Aston Villa in Mitch's case. We don't want to embarrass ourselves. So we're gonna <laughs> there's still gonna be embarrassment. So we're gonna answer questions on one another's clubs. So Mitch has prepared me five questions on Aston Villa. I've done the same for him on Southampton. We're gonna take it in turns, one question each, head to head, and see who comes out on top. It's worth noting that these should all be from our lifetime as well. Yeah, we uh, we 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 agreed to do this, and uh, we were about to start recording this section of the show, and I realised that <laughs> my first question was uh, well, the answer was 1976, and, and I uh, am not that old. You are not that old. That's very very true. So, who's going first? Let's toss a coin Let's live a on coin. air. It's a great audio feature for those of you listening. Mitch has got a ten pence piece. You can call it. I will call heads. It's tails. tails. So psychologically, Mitch gets to pick whether he goes first or second i'm going to uh i'm going to take a question first. you're going to take a yeah. question you brave boy right number one the hero the god of southampton yeah mr matthew letizia how many premier league goals did he score um 100 on the nose 100 on the nose is correct Boom. mitchell i'll take that okay just let you know, that's my hardest question. Really? <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd kick off with a really tough one. This might be my hardest one as well. So, who was the first manager outside of the UK and Ireland to take charge of a top-flight club in England? Obviously, Aston Villa. And I'll give you a clue. It was in the 1991 season. I don't know. Um, this was the one I said earlier. You either know it or you 1991. Right, let's think of some Aston Villa managers. Oh, is he Dutch? No. Oh, I don't know it then. <laughs> Have you ever had a Dutch manager? Uh, not off the top of my head. No, I don't think so. Right. Uh, this guy was Dr. Joseph Wenglosh. That's who I was thinking of. Is he Belgian? Uh, Where's he from? Well, I'm guessing he was from Czech Republic. Oh, he, right. he led his Czechoslovakia side to the quarterfinals of Italia 90 before he joined us. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of, but um, I I thought it sounded quite a Dutch name. Yeah, so. it was crap. Good to know. Right, so 1-0 Mitch, the scores overall currently 33 apiece. Yes. Who is Southampton's record signing? I, I think it was this season. Guido Carrillo, Carrillo. That's your answer? Yeah. That's correct. Yes. That's two out of two. I told you my questions were easy. I'll take that. Serve up a simple one now, please. What is the most played top flight fixture? Aston Villa versus Everton. Correct. There you go. Always used it. to finish 2 all as well. <laughs> Other no. than when we famously beat them 3-2. When Ashley Young Ashley scored, scored and yeah, Martin O'Neill went on the pitch and basically adopted him there and then. Yeah, that was his boy. The third question is, what is Southampton's highest Premier League finish? Oof. I uh, mean, don't insult us by going for like 13th or something. We've we've done all right. No, well, in, I mean, you've obviously 
you've qualified for Europe a couple of times. I will go for. Did you finish? While Mitch is thinking, just let everybody know Southampton did want to finish second in the uh, in the first division, not in the Premier League. That would have spoiled the question, but um, that was in the eighties. Villa finished so. second in the Premier League. And obviously we're talking about the Premier League, aren't we? Anyway, um, uh, I will go with... Uh, I'm going to go with fifth. If only. The yeah. answer was sixth. Thought, yeah, in the uh, in the season that Leicester City won the Premier League, Southampton finished sixth, but they only finished three points behind both Manchester City and uh, level on points with Manchester United. And yeah, they were only three points off the Champions League places. So you were... I you're right. Remember whether that. there was success around the Strachan years, other than the cup. No, well, funnily enough, though, we uh, that that season on the final day we finished fifth, but it was the season when Manchester United, Bournemouth, I think it was, had to be replayed after the season had finished because of the bomb scare. Do you remember that yes. one? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. So we did actually finish the season fifth, but officially we finished at the end of the uh, the season. We finished sixth. Anyway, ridiculous. What's your question? Um, Villa famously won the Coca Cola Cup twice in three years, in 1994 and 1996. Can you name the two opponents and a scorer from each game? Oh my god! And I'll give you ten guesses. A, a, a guess a piece for either. So you right. so you've got to get uh, so you've got two guesses for the teams, two guesses for the players. And I've I've got I've got to get two out of four, or I've got to get four out no, of four. No, you've got to get four out of four. <laughs> you get you get spare guess for each. Sorry. Right. Okay. <laughs> Makes um, sense in my mind. I've got no idea. Um. Did you meet? Did you beat Middlesbrough? No. That's a good start. Try again. Uh, did Stan Collymore no. score? <laughs> right. So you need to get these right. Now. <laughs> okay. No pressure. Um. Oh. Did Hugo Ekiog score? No. No, he didn't. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, I mean, I've I'm failed, but I'm gonna clubs. I'm gonna keep going. I'm trying to think who you played in those those games. Um. You play Leicester? No. I'll give you a clue. Well, well, I was eight years old, so I—I I, I, I was not even ri- younger. But anyway, it's your club. We're in one of the postcodes. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other ones um, have uh, one of the most successful club sides in England. Really? So you beat? Did you beat Leeds? Yeah. And you beat Manchester United? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Manchester United, nineteen ninety-four, where we won three-one. Crikey. Leeds in 1996 we won 3-0 and the Manchester United won Dalian Atkinson scored one rest in peace Dalian yeah. and Dean Saunders got two and then the 96 was Savo Milosevic scored an absolute belter of course he did uh, Ian Taylor and Dwight York and I said last week as long as all the answers are Ian Taylor or uh, Dion Dublin I would have been alright so um, I should only blame myself for getting that wrong so you've got one out of three. Two, you've got one. You've got two out of three. I've got one out of three. So that puts the overall scores level. What is Southampton's biggest ever Premier League win and who was it against? Was it against Aston Villa? <laughs> no, it wasn't against was Aston Villa. No, right, I wouldn't okay. I wouldn't have done that. Come on. Um, you you down to your final guess, by the way. Yeah. There was there was two guesses and your first one I'll, was incorrect. I can't remember what the score was in that Villa game when Marley scored the hat-trick, so I'll go with 6-3 against United. No, it was 8-0 against Sunderland three years ago. Of course it was, yeah. Um, They were dreadful, weren't they? Or we were really good, one of the two. They were dreadful, weren't they? Okay, so 
my question yeah. to answer now. Is this is this my fourth? Yeah. yeah. Who was the Villa manager when they were relegated to the Championship two years ago? It's a stomper. Oh, Remy Gard. Correct. I couldn't remember him. I could picture him. We're but level. I couldn't remember him. We're level. With one to go. Right. Nigel Adkins with 54.03% has the highest win percentage of any Southampton manager in our lifetime. Yeah. But who is second? You only get one guess at this, by the way. Okay. So you can you can throw a few names out there before making a decision, that's fine. But um I will have to take your uh your first and final answer. Okay, so it's whether you look at more recent success or whether you look... So, Strachan would have done all right. Pochettino would have done all right. And Ronald Koeman would have probably done all right as well. I will go for... Not Pochettino, because I think he just about kept up when he first got there. So I'll go with Koeman. Koeman is correct. Big Ron. Three out of five. Yeah, Ronald Koeman's win percentage was 48.35%. It was him who was in charge when we finished sixth in the Premier League. So you did well to get that one. And my final question. Yeah. Prior to Tottenham Hotspur taking the lead two years ago, Villa had provided the most England players with 73. Who was the last Villa player to earn his international debut? Full debut, I'm guessing. Yep. The last Villa player to earn his international debut. Let's have a think about this. Um, can you give some other Villa f- facts or something while I think? Because <laughs> there's going to be some silence here. I think uh, uh, this is this is going to take me a little while. Yeah, I mean we've we've not had a, an international debut for a few years now. We had quite a lot around the same time together, which was good. Um, not just debuts as well. We brought a few players in. I, I did see Elmiel Heskey on this list, on this list, which is always uh, appealing, especially as we're coming into a, a tournament summer, where he scored that fifth goal against Germany, as we remember and will no doubt talk about in the coming weeks. Right, I've got a guess. Yeah. I don't think it's right. Yeah. Um, but I can't think of anybody else, so I'm gonna have to go for it. Is it Gabriel Abongol? It's not <sighs> Abongol. Go on, who is it? He's just won the Premier League with Manchester City. Fabian Delph. Fabian Delph in 2014. Well, if by magic, it's level. Mitch has got three out of five, so he's clearly got superior knowledge when it comes to our football clubs. I've finished with two, which puts us both on 35 points going into the final weekend. And as I've just said, we are preparing for our summer and we are looking at a few different options. In terms of the World Cup, we'll talk about England. I think we're probably going to review some of our World Cup memories, which will be great. And it'll be great to hear from you as well and your World Cup memories. There'll be a lot coming out on social media over the next few weeks, so get involved. You can get us on Twitter at The Sweep Pod, Instagram and Facebook, The Sweep Podcast. Email us at sweeppodcast at gmail.com. And please, please, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes. Uh, It'd be lovely to see some England-based or World Cup-based reviews coming on there as well. So... Get on there and uh, and we'll give you a shout out over the next few weeks. Also, thank you to our new listeners. We've seen a few new ones crop up in the past couple of weeks yeah. and we've got some truly international ones. So it's uh, it's lovely that we are getting listens all over the globe and yeah, get in touch with us so that we can um, speak to you live for, on the podcast. For those international 
listeners it's time to say goodbye it is indeed adios thank you for this week and we will speak to you next week when hopefully Southampton have survived the final day of the Premier League and we'll be talking about Villa's trip to Wembley hopefully. we're going we're going on Tuesday to the, the Aston Villa game against Middlesbrough the second leg of the semi-final Mitch is already nervous so uh, hopefully we'll have a successful couple of days yes I'll be the same see you later